Okay, let's pray. Here we go. Welcome back to, to two weeks into Easter. Almighty and everlasting God, who through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, has proclaimed the gospel to the world, a gospel of peace, grant that the power of the resurrection may bring us to being born anew to a living hope, and so overcome the world through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you back. Um, everything's good. Lots of stuff to talk about. Edie Chorley, we'll have a memorial service for Edie Chorley this Wednesday at 10.30 a.m. If you could kind of spread the word. So for Edie, 10.30 here. We'll have some fun. Obviously, nice things about Edie and the baby Jesus who loved her. So if you uh, know somebody who know, I don't always know whose everybody's connections are, but if you kind of spread that word, that would be really good. We will give money to... St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen, which is, you know, really nice on a rainy day like this. You know, it'd be nice for people to be able to come indoors and have a little bit of soup. That's good. Uh, next week, the organ gets dedicated. I think the strongest comment, and this is for all the musicians in the room, you know, what I want to have happen is I would like the organ to be so loud that the ears actually come off my head. <laughs> right? And that's, 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 you know, well, ranks, pipes, voicing. No, no, no. Speed. We want to see that. We want to see the organ. Do you know our, our organ has the tachometer? We want that thing played in the, in the red, baby. We want, it to, yeah, we want to go to 11. That is exactly right. If you see Peter or if you see Nathan, tell him we want that thing going to 11. Okay, so it should be. Uh, good. We'll, we'll increase our liability insurance. So. And we are, we are giving our, or, now so, I mean, talk about people who are long-suffering. Six years ago, we said to Mark Burkholz's uh, little parish, they had this, really, they have this organ that is held together literally with tape and wire. And they have a really great organist, a guy who was, might have been a professor who retired. And we have been saying for six, seven years, yeah, when we get, you can have it, don't worry, you can have it. And they call me about twice a year really nice and like, like, what's up with you guys? And we're like, so uh, anyway, on Tuesday, if all goes well, that the other organ will disappear. And by the way, on May 6th, they're having, in the afternoon, they're having a hymn sing with their new organ, which is our old organ. And they've actually invited you all to come along. So if any of you, this would be a joy group thing if you want to tell people to come along and have a little be nice to people. And uh, it's in Oakland. So anyway, that'll be fun. If anybody can go May 6th, it'll be in life together. Maybe it's in there already. They're, they're fine people. And you know what? This is the fun of... Of doing good, of paying it forward, exactly. That's a better way than I was going to say it. I, was, I had you know, a couple of chats. One of the things I've noticed, um, this is a sign of maturity in the congregation, is I've noticed that the tithing plus all things has disappeared for some people. And so the 10% you know, uh, has to be stopped being a ceiling and has become a floor. And, pe- and there are some people who are saying, you know, it's kind of like the number kind of goes away, and then they're like, well, I'd like to do this, or I want to try that, or can we do a little more over here, or how about that? That's a much healthier way of managing what the Lord has given you um, rather than always having. You kind of need numbers in your head until you don't need the numbers. So, um, you know, Luther and Augustine both said um, the Christian doesn't need the law. You love God and do what you will, right? It's a brilliant statement. Just love God and do what you will. If you just love God, and that would be love of the people. You can do anything you want as long as you love God. Of course, if you do what something besides what God wants, you don't love him, Right? But if you love God, you can do whatever you want. That's the one thing to remember. And so it's kind of nice, even in terms of money, which is often the hardest thing for us. It's just kind of nice. So, you know, when you can go to a poor church and say, you know, you can have this organ and it'll be great, and they've 
you know, they think they've died and gone to heaven, and we can be part of that and not make a big deal out of it. It's just, it's just great. So anyway, thanks. Yes. Pastor Burkholz mentioned publicly on his website that St. John was one of the kindest, most generous congregations he'd ever known. So... Yeah, he wrote a nice little uh, website piece about St. John. He was, you know, he so met his wife here, who he was married here. Yeah, he was an intern here. I mean, we helped him through seminary. We helped him when he went to Australia to study with John Kleinig. Um, there's a lot of things that happen at St. John that we don't make a big deal out of. I don't really know. It's weird to make a big deal out of the good stuff you do. On the other hand, I mean, it's kind of cool that you helped Berkey study with Kleinig in Australia for a year. You know, he'd send me pictures of him out with the Aboriginal people eating grubs from a fire, which makes me think I might have wasted some money. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but these guys, I mean, we've had, I, you know, not so much lately because, you know, it's sort of, but we have, you know, we've had 200 interns over the course of 20 years here, and they're scattered all over the place and doing all kinds of things. And, you know, they call every once in a while and ask for help or money or they got something ambitious to do. And, it's nice. So you're nice. Thank you very much for being kind. You're very generous. And, you know, this is the thing. You talk about money so you can stop talking about money and go on and talk about, you know, loving God and helping other people. So even though I just said that, does any, any leftover questions about the capital campaign? Anybody got anything? There's still a few um, pledges coming in, which is great. A few people have talked to me because finances get more worked out around tax time. That's all fine. Um, you know, we'll let you know. We'll probably catch you up in a week or two. We'll probably send you one more text and kind of give you what we kind of think is our final, final number and stuff like that. Anything else? All good? Anyway, thanks. It's good fun. Let's move on to something else. Um, I was thinking about you this morning. So raise your hand if you're a doer, if you're a big doer. If you're a doer, raise your hand if you're a doer. Now keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you're a fixer. If you're a fixer, raise your hand too. If you just like to give people good advice, raise your hand, right? <laughs> raise your hand if you like to. Raise your hand. See, you cheaters, you're taking your hands down. Raise your hand if you're the boss of somebody. Tell people what to do all day long. <laughs> that counts. Raise your hand if you steal flans. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. It's, the, the fact that you have the interior wherewithal to recognize this is really a mark of spiritual maturity. That's great. Well, anyway, this is, a, this is the story for you today. Exactly. This is, this, is the story. this is the story for you today. There's a run of really great stories now in these post-Easter uh, days. And the, story, the reason the stories are so good is that they, they look a lot like us, maybe uh, more like us than some of the other ones did, but they're very, very nice. So I've been thinking a lot about this. I don't know if you've noticed, um, kind of the cool kid thing to be in the last year in the world is a storyteller. In fact, you even see you know, full-page ads in the Wall Street Journal of the New York Times where companies, you know, IBM had a huge ad where they were talking about how their AI helps tell stories, right? And you think that's just such an interesting thing because you know, that's what we do. We, we tell stories. Now, we have this particular story that's fallen out of favor somewhat, but if there's every indication in the last few months that there are new openings for uh, the story. I, you know, the last story I read this morning before I came in was of a, a uh, civil rights lawyer who set himself on fire this morning, killed himself in New York. And his, um, I, he left a note where he basically said, you know, we, fossil fuels are killing us, killing the environment, so I'm going to kill myself with fossil fuels to make the point that, you know, you know something needs to be done. What's interesting, it's, it sounds twisted, but actually the logic is pretty impeccable if you receive his presuppositions. But here's the other thing. I mean, this is, it's just so, you know, of course, what strikes me is it's the Jesus story. 
So he thinks that he gives himself as a sacrifice for the world, and now the world will be changed. The problem is, is that it's not within our ken, right? So Jesus is this other category of God and man. Human beings, one after another, can try this. And it, this, what's so interesting about this is that, you know, the story is denigrated. You know, the story is denigrated of one person gives himself for another. But it happens once a month on the front page of the New York Times. I mean, it's, there it is again this morning, right? You just say, it's this basic notion that somehow we can, now think of all the ways we talk about the cross, be an atonement for or a propitiation for, which a propitiation means you please somebody, or an expiation for, which means you erase guilt. There are several components to how you can give yourself for somebody else. But we keep, we keep trying to imitate this story again and again, even if you sort of followed all the technology stuff. So it was so interesting this year because we started with, remember the, the first, almost the first article I gave you was about how Google is a god. Google is the new god. And now, you know, we've gone kind of all the way 180 from that to where everybody decided hashtag delete Facebook, right? And you kind of go, you know, how does this work, you know? It's just so interesting how we fall in and out of favor. And part of what we, and then people make confessions and they say that wasn't a good confession or it was a good confession or who would act like. And so the stuff that the, this is the bread and butter of the church, the basic stuff of the church to say this is wrong, this is right. So now, um, you know, Google has a, has a new, uh, well, it's not new, I guess it's not new, but now it's publicized. They have an ethics panel because they've accepted some defense contracts to work with their AI, and that's made a lot of people in Silicon Valley very nervous, and so now they have this ethics panel that's trying to sort out what contracts they can take. But it's just basically sorting out what's right and wrong. Well, this is what the church does. So there's right and there's wrong, right? And... Um, There's confession, and this is how you make a confession, and this is what forgiveness looks like. And now, actually, I want to go to one of the things today, which is the most... Uh, I'm, I'm at the point, I'm down to, about two, I'm down to two or perhaps three cable channels, even though I pay for thousands, right? And the primary thing that puts me off the cable channels is everybody talks at once. Because they're all doers, they're all fixers, they're all bosses, they're all like us, Right? So I just want to suggest to you that, you know, we're sort of in the race, right? And I give you this under point one, this beautiful thing from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Where have your love, your mercy, your compassion shown out more luminously than your wounds? That's the story. That was the sermon this morning, that with Jesus' wounds, he's telling you a story. And he, he's told that story three weeks in a row now. We're going to read a couple of these stories over the next two weeks. But then turn the next page. Because all this talk of storytelling is um, really predicated on listening, right? And so if you know a little bit about design thinking, which is kind of all the rage now, I'm even getting, uh, uh, I'm even getting emails that want to have church consultants come in and teach us about design thinking, which is a, another way of, you know, think, it's one hermeneutic or one set of rubrics for thinking about the world, which are also very helpful you know it's how the iphone gets invented it's how the mouse gets invented it's how you how you listen and then you recreate and then you represent and reposition it's all these things uh you know it's just a it's a rubric it's a way of going about life but it all depends on listening and frankly this is very hard for people who are doers who are this is hard for pastors i mean you know so i'm sort of pent up you know 
As my wife, my lovely wife, knows, I drew my first paycheck from the church at the tender age of 36, right? And, you know, so, frankly, I had a lot to say. I've been waiting a long time, <laughs> right? And, of course, that's exactly the wrong impulse because uh, people's inability. I mean, it's interesting. It's just interesting. Um, I could go forever on that, but I think I should go to this. This has been a helpful thing to me, which is um, Henry Nouwen's quote that I came across a few years ago about listening as spiritual hospitality. So listening means you're a good host in the way when people come to your house, you're a good host at dinner. Listen to this. To listen is very hard because it asks so much interior stability that we no longer need to prove ourselves by speeches, arguments, statements, or declarations. That's what's happening when people talk over each other. They're afraid that somebody's, they're going to run out of time and they won't have gotten to talk. They're afraid that the other person will make a valid point so they need to shout them down. Right? They're afraid they won't be famous and won't be rich and won't be paid. They're afraid you'll turn to another cable channel. Right? This is why there's no real reasoning and no real leadership because Nobody's listening. So now authority in America has been coalesced with power. True listeners no longer have an inner need to make their presence known. So erase yourself, right? They are free to receive, to welcome, to accept. This is all we've talked about for the last two years. That people have a different story than you that you accept them, that you're kind to them, that you don't spit on them, that you denigrate them, you don't interrupt them, you don't push them out of the way. You receive them, and you have the inner stability, which means you have the Eucharist inside, you have Jesus inside, which tells you no matter what, you're indestructible, right? And so the risk is out. Even though you feel like you're nervous, you're off balance, you're afraid of being shamed, somebody will, you know, you know um, roast you on Twitter, you don't know, so... Listening is much more than allowing another to talk while waiting for a chance to respond. Listening is paying full attention to others and welcoming them into our very beings. In a couple of weeks, you're going to have a margin comment from a new book from a guy who was a Wheaton College professor about thinking, which is actually the way I was taught way back when um, in terms of debate, which is, Let's say the hex have a disagreement about something. This is only theoretical. <laughs> For young Tom there, um, before he says anything, to really listen to his wife, this is the way the debate works. She makes her point, and Tom can't make his point until he can recapitulate her story to her satisfaction. This is how thinking works. In fact, in Cambridge, you know, one of the things that Norman Nagel taught me in Cambridge was that you would be able to recapitulate the other person's answer and also add a bit of support for their argument. That was the gentlemanly proper thing to do. You might say to them, oh, and you forgot this is good for your side too. Or did you know there's a study that just came out that supports your side? That's real listening, Okay. So listening is paying full attention to others and welcoming them into our very beings. The beauty 
right? So now beauty again. We've talked about this for years. The beauty of listening is that those who are listened to start to feel accepted community, start taking their own words more seriously and discovering their own true selves. This is exactly what Jesus does. This is exactly what Jesus does. Read your scriptures and watch for how long it takes for Jesus to speak. In front of Pilate, he doesn't speak at all. Don't you have anything to say? Don't you know your fate lies in my hands? Finally, he says, hey, if I wanted a couple of legions of angels, I could call them down right now. Or finally, he says, come on, you really don't have any authority except the authority that's been given to you from somewhere else. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality. When you listen, you're a good host. It's the same as if you had dinner, but you didn't prepare food or the food was horrible. Or you didn't greet your guests, or as Jesus says, I came and you didn't give me any water to wash up, right? Remember that? Jesus says, you're not a good host. You don't listen. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you, and this is the whole church, right? Invite strangers to become friends. To get to know their inner selves more fully. And this is the long thing, even dare to be silent with you, which is really kind of the acid test when you're somebody. So just think to yourself, you don't say anything, but can you sit with somebody in silence and not be uncomfortable? So many people get uncomfortable, right? There must be something wrong. Got to fill the air with something. Watch the shiny object, right? So just think about that as a way toward having a great church, having a great family, having a community being kind to strangers, welcoming people into the church. I have to tell you, this is what makes the current Pope so popular. You like him or hate him, it doesn't make any difference. You're not Catholic, you don't have any skin in the game. But what's so interesting about the guy is, and but I also want to say I thought this was true for John Paul II and Benedict as well in their own ways. They were extraordinarily good listeners. right? They, they absorbed people before they began to speak. They all play rough and tumble. You know, Francis is no different than Benedict, no different than the GP. I mean, they all play rough and tumble. I mean, that's worse than being the president of the Missouri Senate. Come on, right? Being the Pope, think about it. Nobody wants that job. That's why they take in that little chapel of tears. You know this, right? Your vestments are laid out, and you have a chance to back out of it. You know this, right? The the Pope-elect goes into the chapel of tears. The white vestments are laid out. He's given to pray and weep and turn the other way if such a thing strikes him, right? So storytelling, storytelling loves folks the way they need to be loved, and that's the key thing for today. What? Has it ever happened? Uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, no, but um, you have now have a pope that resigned, and sometimes you have popes that die very quickly, like the one when I was in college. I bet... I, bet, I made a huge bet on the fact that the Pope didn't die 39 days into his term when I was a senior in college. I'm probably still paying that off. I'm like, somebody who knew I was given to these things says, the Pope died, and like, you know, he left me a note at my door. The Pope died. That was the first time. I'm like, he didn't die, and then he did die. 40 days later, he leaves me a note at my door. The Pope died. I'm like, I'll bet you, yeah, it was costly. It did. Remember, this guy, the next guy died 39 days in, right? There's always suspicion that somebody else helped him not be Pope. But, you know, you never can tell. It usually doesn't happen, but we could do a little bit of history, right? There are certainly people who don't think they're worthy of it. So, 
this is the practical thing. Storytelling, and this is the key here. This is the key to love. Love loves people the way they need to be loved, not the way you want to love them, right? So, you know, I have an idea about what it would be like to love Marge. I know just what Marge needs. I'm going to have her drive this car and paint her kit. You have people who come to your house and give you unsolicited advice? In the grocery store, do you have people who tell you how to raise your kids? Yeah, that's great, too. Or people will tell us how to be pastor. Hey, if you only, you know, we're kind of like, you know, um, to love people is to not always. In fact, sometimes people want to join St. John. I, you know, I take them to lunch, and then they tell me all the things that maybe we should change before they join, which I'm kind of like, did you do this to your wife, too? I love you so much, I want you to change, right? It's not a great date starter, or life starter, or church starter, or relationship starter, right? You love people the way they need to be loved and not the way you want to love them. You, lo- you absorb them and love them as they are, as opposed to what you want to change them into, as if you had some unfallible notion about um, you know, how to, how, to, how, to, how to raise somebody else's kids or be somebody else's husband or wife or be somebody else's boss. Everybody always thinks they can raise other people's kids. It's pastoral hazard, although I have to say this congregation was fabulous. But I've been in congregations where people want to raise my kids for me. Or occasionally they'll send me an email and say, you know, why don't you do this? And I just I think to myself, how could you possibly know? You know, it's, just, it's always this goes right to the urge of always having periods rather than question marks, making assertions rather than asking questions, right? What you found about Jesus is that he constantly asks questions. He's quiet. He asks questions. And he tells his story when people ask him to tell a story. What must a man do to inherit the kingdom of God? Right? What's the greatest commandment? Right? Who are you? Right? Or the other way, who do men say that I am? Right? This is a very underused and underappreciated thing. And it's because we're all doers, fishers, pushers. We're all smarter than the rest of, of everybody else here. We're all the smartest guy in the room. Everybody in this room thinks they're the smartest guy in the room, right? And it's just, it's just it makes life difficult. And it makes it, um, you know, it makes it hard. I'll tell a story about you if I want. I remember when we did the first landscape. So she's trained a trained landscaper. And I can remember when we moved in and we had landscaping day. Do you remember this? And so I had to stand up and say, there are 100 people here. I had to stand up and say, today is landscaping day. And Lindsay is the landscaper. <laughs> now, on banking day, we're going to ask all the bankers to be in charge. <laughs> and on boiler day, all the boiler makers can be in charge, Right? And on cooking day, the cooks can be, but today is landscaping day, so Lindsay, the landscaper, gets to be in charge. It was a fabulous day because everybody listened to that, right? It was a fabulous day. I remember it. People were almost reluctant to work until you gave them the nod, <laughs> right? But see, that was it's beautiful. That's how they, but it's not natural to us, right? Because everybody thinks they're a better plumber than Jim Butcher. Yeah, because you tried, you tried to put a wrench on it, didn't you? And now, now the water is shooting up like this, and your wife is staring at you, and you're trying to get Jim in the middle of the night. I know. You thought you could do this by watching YouTube. No! 
Call James Harold Butcher Plumbing and just get it done. All right. Well, the church is no different. Your family is no different. Nothing is so different. So let's, let's just listen to this. This is John 20. Now just kind of listen for this. Just watch for this now, right? John 20, this is Easter morning. I'll, we'll do, you know, 18 verses. But the first ones you've heard, but then the other ones are just so interesting. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken away, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter then came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple, this is John the disciple, John and Peter, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying and the napkin. So there's your two shrouds, right? One in Turin, one in Spain, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but rolled up in a place by itself. Jesus made his bed before he left. Then the other disciples who reached the tomb first went in, and, saw, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, so that's just the background, okay? You've heard that story, but now this story. So Mary's the first one. She tells the boys. The boys run there. The boys run back. They're impulsive. They're direct. They have some ideas. But Mary has some ideas, too. We need to see how she works through it. Now just listen to the story. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now just tend the question marks and the periods. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Try to see that as an act of love, right? They don't lecture her. They don't tell her off. They don't say, why, you know, hey, what's wrong? Why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, look, question mark. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Right? You see, you see how different this is? Nobody gives a lecture. Nobody's given direction. Nobody's jumping up to fix it. Jesus is content with the silence, and he embraces her weeping. And most of all, he asks the question because... He knows it's about her, right? It's about her. Supposing he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take care of him. Jesus said to her, finally, right? Finally, Jesus talks after all this, a single word, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. So one word, and then one word, but one of the most famous conversations ever recorded. Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to, and look at how beautiful this is, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. 
Now, all he'd said was her name, Mary. And my God, your God, you know, um, right? My God, your God. So let's try to take that apart and see if there is a lesson in that for us. I'm just a point five. She's this wonderful person. <clears throat> in the history of the church, there's a lot of talk about Mary Magdalene. However, um, there's not a lot of biblical support for that. So like everything else in tradition, you kind of listen to it and you see if the tradition might have some legs. But you also are careful because people like to tell stories about other people. So there's you know, the notion that Mary was a prostitute or that you know, Mary was in and out of Jesus' life. And what we do know is that Jesus did um, cast seven demons out of her. And that's the sort of thing that would make you grateful to somebody. So we do know that at some point she had seven demons and those were cast out. We also know that she's an early adopter, that she'd been with Jesus all along the way, that she'd seen him in Galilee, and that she'd walked with him, and that she's the person, the woman, most mentioned in the story of Jesus' last hour. So she starts early and she sticks with him. And she stays at the cross and she's there. She's there for the death and she's back up the next morning to bring the spices and oils, enough fit for a king, right? They tell you how much was brought. The, the amount they brought for Jesus was the amount that you would use to bury a king. So Joseph of Arimathea not only gave up his tomb, but he also gave up a ton of money. But for the first time here, and this is always so interesting about people, this woman who's been very strong, been through so much, uh, for the first time she cries. And you have to ask yourself, you know, what is it that she's crying about? And what she's crying about is that she feels like her world has been shattered. You've certainly had this feeling. If you're human, you've had this feeling because of what you've done, what's been done to you, because of your kids, your spouse, your parents, people you know, your business. You've certainly had this happen to you when you feel like you've been betrayed or you've been lied about or humiliated. And now this final indignity for people who were fleshly people, who cared about bodies, right? You became a, a person of Israel, a, boy, a son of Israel by being circumcised, right? You became forgiven by making sacrifices. They're, they're fleshly people. And now the one last thing that's left, the flesh of Jesus has been stolen, right? And then denigrated. This is what she thinks, right? And the world's a nasty place, and I have to live in it. And it's sometimes it's just enough to make you weep. And she is just miserable, right? And, of course, you've heard the rest of the story. It's because she's wrong. And this is the same thing that happens for us. What happens is we make up our own stories, right? We make up our own ways. We make all sorts of presuppositions, just like Mary did. I don't know if you noticed that going through the story, but she made up all these presuppositions, like somebody has stolen the body, somebody has carried the body away. You know, she starts to tell a story that's not her story. You do exactly the same thing, I do the exact same thing. When you tell a story that's not in love about yourself or somebody else, right? When you tell a lie. When you just, you know, um, like Kleinig said to me once, he said, you know, I was moaning to him about something in the church. He said, look, a billion things have gone right for you today, and you're focusing on the two or three things that are really horrible, Right? And that's the way an old man can talk to you. Or, you know, the famous thing that Kleinig once said to me, Bruzek, Jesus is a realist. Satan is an idealist, right? Because I always think that things should move faster and they should be better and you should be better and I should be better and we should be able to go farther and what's the problem here and here we go because I'm what? A doer and a fixer, right? So the thing is, I'm not interested in reading too much what you have to say because i got to move on, right? 
okay? Jesus is a realist, Satan is an idealist. Well, the problem with all of that is that we forget how Jesus talks to us about having a thorn in the side, about being challenged, about how he'll never leave us, about how he really loves us, about how my father is your father, about how you treat other people, about how you forgive them, about how you tell the truth, about how you're generous, about you don't have any other gods before you. We often tell a different story, right? And this is what's happened to Mary. It happens in all varieties. It happens thick and thin. It happens strong and weak. You know, it can be a dozen venial sins. It can be a mortal sin. It can be a big thing. But the thing is, is we tend to step outside the story because we stop listening, right? So it goes like this. You listen to the story and you agree with the story. That's faith. Listening is the means of grace. So you listen to the story. You agree with the story. And then you remember the story. This is what Jesus does for you. And then you can imagine into the future about how it will play out in hopefulness because Jesus will sort it out. This is why you don't need to have enemies. Because Jesus tells you who you are. He tells you what you've done for it. You say, thank you so very much. So you get yourself baptized and you go to the Eucharist and then things go wrong like they did in this story today. Now, this is not to be critical of Mary, but what you hope to see is that she gets to the point where she says, my Lord and my God sooner you know, because I'm a doer and a fixer, and I want the story to be different, right? So, but it's imagination that lets you live in hope. The same Lord who took care of me in the past, this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you through the Red Sea, who brought you through the wilderness, who brought you into the Promised Land. That God will take care of the next thing too, right? And that's always the hard thing for us. So remembering is faith, and forgetting is unfaith. And the next time you're weeping or the next time you're miserable or the next thing you're focused on the billion things that have gone or on the two or three things that have gone wrong for you today, you have exactly what you have exactly what Mary Magdalene has, which is the monks call it logismoi, which is you have corrupt thoughts, right? Things that are static in the system, right? You've got a broken wire or you've got bad code. Yeah, you've lost some memory. This is what happens. So it's not just that she's a victim of her emotions. It's that she is making up her own story with her presuppositions, with her assumptions, right? Because she stopped listening. See, to be a Christian is to listen to Jesus' story and tell Jesus' story. This is easy, right? So you listen to Jesus' story and you tell Jesus' story. You watch Jesus. You see as Jesus sees. You do as Jesus does. You say as Jesus says. Primarily, that means to love other people. Love God and serve your neighbor, to love God and love your neighbor. That's basically what it means, right? Sin is to tell another story. This is just really simple. This is simple stuff. In theory, of course. This is what's happened to Mary. So she neglects the story. She's, and she's the longest-running story listener, right? She was there from Galilee. She got demons cast out of her. This is like when you have somebody, you know, it's like when you've recovered from cancer or, you know, somebody you love has come back from sickness or you've been raised from the dead or you've seen some miracle or something's worked out. That's what happened to her. It's so important that you say she had seven demons cast out because that's the sort of thing that gets your attention, right? But we're all the same. If we went around the room, we'd all have a story to tell at some point where Jesus has rescued us. And then we say, I like my own story better, or that story's too hard, or forget about that story, or the world doesn't like that story, or pick something, right? So um, we, you know, all get blinded. Um, in fact, this is all the way down to 10. We get dark. And as Luther says, we turn in upon ourselves. All we can see is our own hearts, right? 
So, and I give you at the top a, a, little, um, a little bit. This is above number 11. This kind of great pithy thing stolen from a, a sermon from Nor- Norman Negron kind of reworked, but basically that all fear is self-appealing. So when your eyes are up and out and you see Jesus and you listen to his story and you follow him, things are hopeful. When your eyes are in, things get dark. Um, you're dependent on your own resources and eventually you become fearful because you realize that someday the world is going to push on you so hard it's going to crush you. Right? So every week, you know, it's all about chins up and out, right? It's why there's a body on the cross. So every time you look up, you remember what the story is. So now watch what Jesus does, right? Jesus asks questions. This is point 12. Why are you weeping? Right? He doesn't tell her, you're so stupid, I cast demons out of you. Don't you recognize me? You should be. No, no, right? He brings her along at her own speed with questions and silence. Questions and silence. Why are you weeping? If you know who did this, right? So she's con- making a confession here. She's confessing her own bad worldview, her own bad story. If you know the person who did this, tell him and I will fix it. Is he still self-dependent? More of the same, right? So long as Mary holds to her own reality, her own thoughts, her own presuppositions, and her own limits about what happened in the past or what's happening in the present, her future's ruined. So long as you hold on to what's happened in the past, your own, the things you've done, the ways you've been hurt, so long as you hold to your own presuppositions about the future, what's happening right now, you are then on your own. That is not the place you want to be. You want to be joined to the flesh of Jesus in the community that's called the body of Jesus, right? And this is why you're, it's, a, it's binary. You're either hopeful or despairing about the future. With Jesus' story, you're always hopeful. With your own story, eventually you'll be despairing, and so you'll go to Central Park or wherever it was this morning and light yourself on fire, even though you're a very accomplished voice for your side. So Jesus consoles her and he cures her. How? By wrapping her up. He calls her by name. Exactly what happens to you in baptism. One word, Mary. Right? When Jesus names her, he kind of wakens everything up. It's the way, it's the difference between hey you and when somebody calls you by name or somebody you really love says your name to yourself or the way you talk to your children, right? When your children have done something horrible, one of the ways you can, you can you, you say their name, you whisper their name into their ear in a gentle tone. Then they know that you still love them, that it's all going to be okay. This is, this is a single word, Mary, right? Well chosen. I give you this, um, you know, this, is, this, this thing from Blood Diamond is the most beautiful thing. We run this every couple of years as a margin comment. But it's so, this is again my argument that the story never changes. This is the prodigal son story, right? This is the Jesus story. Dia holding the colonel's nine millimeter aimed at his father Solomon. Dia, look at me. Dia looks into Solomon's eyes. Now look, he names him. You are Dia Vandy of the proud Mende. Your mother loves you. And she waits by the fire making plantains and red palm stew with your sister Neanda and the new baby. The cows wait for you. And Babu the wild dog who minds no one but you. And I am your father who loves you, and you will go home with me and be my son. Solomon walks right up to his son, ignoring the gun, and wraps his arms around him. Right? It's the most beautiful thing. 
But that's our story. That's the same story that just gets told over and over. That's the opposite side of the story of that poor man setting himself on fire this morning. Right? You pick a story. You know, one is going to lead you to hope. The other is going to lead you to hopelessness. And it's everywhere. The whole notion that, you know, yeah, it is true the world has lost our story. But we haven't lost our story. If you lose our story, then there isn't. But, you know, you, this is the story that brings hope. This is the story that brings imagination. This is the story that brings resurrection. This is the story that makes a church. Right? This is the story that makes people love each other, that makes people generous. And this is exactly what happens when Jesus goes to Mary. He wraps his arms around her, and he brings her home again. Right? And the reply then, he says, Mary, and she replies, Rabboni, which is more than teacher, it's rabbi, you're my rabbi, which means I sit at your feet and listen. That's what a rabbi does. You, you're known by your rabbi. It's like if you say to somebody, where'd you go to school? They go, I went to Harvard. Or Nagel once said to me before I went to Cambridge, he said, you know, you'll, you know, you'll always be a Cambridge man now. This is how people think about you, right? This is the same way. When you say it this way, he says, when she says Rabona, she doesn't mean like, yeah, I remember you told me some story. She means, you're my rabbi and I'm committing everything to you. Your story is my story. Your way is my way. I'm your guy. This is what it means. I follow. That's what it means. And suddenly you see this sign of life, right? His voice, his story has drawn her back in. It's tugged her out of darkness. And everything he ever said and did came flooding back. This is why you should never despair about your children. Because... Um, you can, if your children have gone off the rails, you can yell at them all day long. And when you yell at them, um, the, the callus, the wall, becomes thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker, right? And sometimes people, you know, they see somebody who's gone off the rails and they want me to yell at them, right? Or somebody who hasn't been in church for a while comes back and they always expect to be spanked. They always expect it, Right? Because why? Because that's what the church has always done. Because we're right and they're wrong. And we have a story and they don't. And they should shape up. And we're mad they didn't shape up. You see how, how this has gone off the rails? If that's how you treat sinners, that's antichrist. The way Christ treats the doubtful, the way Christ treats sinners, is that he is calm. He listens to them. He asks questions. He embraces them. And eventually... He tells a story. Sometimes it's a short story. One word, their name. Mary. The way you might say, you know, I have a, yeah. I have a friend who, whose father, I won't say it out loud because I don't want to, but you can just fill in the blank. Always swore at him. Never called him by his first name. He'd be like you. Right? In this guy's ears, he's 60 years old. When he hears his father's voice, that's the name he hears, right? When Mary hears Jesus' voice, she hears him say, Mary, right? Which is how, for those whom you love, for your children, you just keep telling the story because, and here's kind of the payoff, the story is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's inspirited. It's a story of another level, of another dimension, another reality. This whole notion that Jesus comes back from death. See, Jesus doesn't just rise from the dead. That's what the text says. He doesn't rise from the dead like Lazarus rises from the dead. Jesus rises from beyond death. Lazarus dies, rises, dies again. Jesus dies, rises, and lives forever. 
you're trying to draw people into that story, I guarantee you in a special, uh, you know, if you grew up in a community where humiliating people, shaming people, you know, making people feel guilty, if you grew up in a church like that, if that ever worked, I guarantee you that it doesn't work now, which is great. Because what people need to hear is to you say their name and invite them close. What people need is for you to listen to them, right? So bottom line, this is you need to love people the way they need to be loved, right? You can't love people the way, you know, you buy somebody golf clubs because you want them to play golf. You know, you buy them a plane ticket because they want to travel, but they don't want to travel, right? You know, you take them out for hot Indian food, but, yeah, they've got, you know, they don't like hot Indian food, right? You want your kid to go to college, but maybe your kid would, you know, be better if, you know, he got a field grant and sat in his basement and, you know, invented the next whatever, right? So this is the last page. We're resurrected by the divine story of Jesus, by his viva vox, the living voice of Jesus. See, that's the path, that, our, that this story is better than any other story because it contains the Holy Spirit, which is why you don't have to interrupt and you can listen and you don't have to worry like you don't have enough stuff and you can do the right thing and you don't have to win and you don't have to talk over people because at some point these very simple things, I love you, I forgive you, Mary, right? Right, that's the way the life works. And the last line, you know, with the Viva Vox, anything is possible. Okay. So if that's the kind of church you want to want to live in, then it's important for all of us, starting with me, to listen carefully to each other, to absorb people, to love them, to ask questions, and then to try to carry on. It's not as satisfying as telling people off. It's not as satisfying as breaking people. It's not as satisfying as being the boss, doing things, being a fixer, right? Fixing other people, loving them the way, making them into what you want them to be. It's not as satisfying as that, but it is the right thing to do, and it's the way of Jesus. So just as you read a few more of these stories, just kind of look at how Jesus tells a story and how he loves other people, right? And he's been doing that all year long. It's just that at the matters of life and death, everything become clear, right? Everything's clearest for us at, the, at, at life and death. All right, got to go. Thanks. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks. See you soon.